Hello and welcome to this month's edition of Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about the global uprising social movement, Black Lives Matters, and beauty's response. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our panelists. We have Erica Fremantle, founder at Embracing All Tones of Women Limited, global makeup artist, educator, and product developer. Kim Ford, global technical and strategic beauty industry consultant for education, business, and training. And Edwina Calico, vice president at Liberty Fashion and Lifestyle Fairs, founder of Essentials by Edwina. Edwina, let's start with black-owned brands. Rihanna launched Fenty Skincare, Pat McGrath Labs names Naomi Campbell as the first global face, and Kanye West trademarks Yeezy Skincare. Was this the correct response, or what should they have done? Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be having this very important conversation. Um, to start off, I think Pat McGrath, you know, she's been doing this for years. She's been a very influential influential makeup artist. She has launched products that promote diversity. So I would say, you know, she's been a thought leader in diversity and beauty for a long time, where if you look at Fenty Beauty, that's a brand that launched three years ago. And I think what has made the brand so powerful is the range and the options that a brand like Fenty provides <clears throat> for women of color. Um, and so I think that, yes, I think that that was a brilliant idea. I think we need more diverse products. That's definitely uh, the situation. You know, I grew up in Sweden where there were no products for brown people when I was growing up. And now there is a bit more, but you know, we have strides that we need to keep making. Um, so I think it's great. I think we need more products like that. And when it comes to Yeezy skincare, I can't say much about what Kanye is doing. Uh, <laughs> I think Kanye is jumping on the bandwagon of beauty because it's hot right now. What I would love to see Kanye do is launch something for men in the black men's space. I think there's a huge need for grooming products beauty products for men of color. So that could be interesting, but uh, it's hard to say what the motive is with, with easy skin. And Kim? Yeah. Well, I think really that it's a good thing that we are having this situation now that the people who are kind of in the industry light as a black representative, that they are starting to move forward and take hold of this situation. We have waited a long time for anybody really to take note of what products should be out there suitable for our particular skin type. Mm -hmm. There has been a small, a few brands, but I personally believe over time they've moved over to doing for a Caucasian skin type, which really doesn't help us at all. Fenty, of course, that's just gone absolutely crazy. Um, and it's a good thing, really. I mean, I've been, I've looked at the range, the colors are good, you know, and a lot of young people are actually being able to find makeup that is suitable for them. Naomi, she's doing a thing on Vogue, showing how that you put, you know, uh, makeup on so that it looks good. So I think that is really good because that's a good example to the youngsters out there that, you know, they too can put the makeup on, you know, the same as she do and look amazing, you know, with the natural makeup. And then with Kanye, well, we'll see what he comes out with. It seems to be 
from what I can see, a whole range of products across face, skin, beauty, body. Um, it's interesting. We'll see what comes out there. And I think it's good that what they're doing at present, it's good. It may not be enough, but it's a start. And Erica? Yeah, my, my, my look upon it is that there are three people that happen to be doing the same thing at the same time that are black. And if they were white, would you have asked the same question? Would we be having this conversation? So I think it's three people that are already in the space, that have got the prestige, got the leverage to do what needs to be done in business. They're taking their business to the next level and they're doing what they feel they should do. If I had the opportunity, I'd do it at the same time as them as well, if I had the investment. In regards to Pat McGrath, I started my career out at the same time with Pat. And as you said, Pat's been around for a very long time, but Pat's been signed to other companies. So this is something that she's always wanted to do, but she hasn't been able to do because she's been in various different contracts, one or you know, one or another. Um, I know that she was at one point um, very high up with PNG and doing lots of things. So it's not as if she didn't want to do it. I just feel that she had to wait for the time to be right. And again, look at Naomi Campbell. Um, Naomi, no brand has actually put Naomi up um, yes. before yes. now for a model yes. that's been around for 35 years. Yes. You have to ask that question. So why shouldn't a friend assist a friend that's been there with her at the same time? They're both coming at the same level. They've, they've reached a peak in their careers. I personally, I couldn't see a better marriage. Um, you know, I couldn't have invented anything better myself. And as for Kenya, you know, good for him. I would say he's trying. Um, we all know his personal situation at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have to take that on board and say, if someone is in that mindset, I don't know if it's him or people around him, at least he's still able to focus on business and see the gaps and pursue what needs to be done. And back to the comment made about, um, let's hope that he's doing something for men. That's a huge market that he or somebody else will jump onto because a lot of black men, men of color, do wear makeup as well and use cosmetics. So I, I see it as very positive and um, I wish them all the best of luck. So uh, Rihanna's just launched her skincare. It will come out tomorrow. Yes. And uh, she is promoting it as asexual for men and women. Can that happen in skincare? Uh, Kim, over to you, actually. Can that happen in skincare? You're a product developer, formulator. Can the same yeah, product... Yeah, I, I think it can. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's, it's going to be specifically different in, a, say, in formulation to, to a great extent. It's really about marketing it towards both men and women and making it, you know, as natural as possible because it is. There's nothing wrong with it. What's mm. wrong about a man or a woman wanting to look good with a little bit of help? Nothing wrong with that. And what would you recommend for packaging? Something which is neutral, which is great for any man or any woman to pop onto the shelf. And I'm not so much convinced that it's major important um, that it is strictly looking like a man and strictly looking like a woman. Just as, as long as it's nice and it's practical, that's what we need. Okay, so let's talk about the legacy brands and what they did, what their response was. So Estee Lauder pledged to hire 
and committed 10 million pounds to NAACP. L'Oreal rehires Munro Burgoff and Unilever rebrands fair and lovely products. What should they have done or what should they do now? Kim, back to you. Okay. Um, the first thing is about the rebranding of the fair product. I mean, I've worked internationally all over the world. And one of the things which I've come across is with every country, whether it's Hong Kong, Asia, um, South Africa, whatever, it is so hard to get any product without skin lightening in it. You know, you, you go to the shop, you ask for a product, and you say, I don't want any skin lightening in it, but it's in there. And you're saying, no, no, I just want a normal product. And I think what we have to do is re-educate people exactly that, the colour they are. No, no matter how dark they are, they are still beautiful in this world. Although the world may not say that, they are beautiful. So yes, they've rebranded it, However, it's still the same thing, isn't it? As far as I'm aware. So what little difference is that going to make? And yes, it's very nice. And I'm appreciative that Estee uh, Lauder has pledged to hire more people, you know, at a good level. And that they've also decided to, you know, put more money in, into places such as the Legal Defense and Education Front from 1 million to 10 million over a, a number of three years. It's great, but again, it's taken the situation, what has happened in the last month for these companies to step up. And Edwina, how is that seen in the US market, these pledges? Uh, I mean, you know, the, there's been a lot of controversy uh, regarding these huge companies coming out with pledges for $10 million donations, $15 million donations. And my question is, you know, is it performative? Uh, is it convenient for these companies to all of a sudden have a budget to promote black communities and black brands? And, and also for me, the biggest thing is, okay, so you're giving $10 million to an organization. Where is that money really going? Are you investing in educational programs? Um, you know, what, what do the investments look like and how are we sure that those $10 million or pounds are going to the betterment of diversity and beauty? For all we know, you know, it's a nice tax write-off and they're continuing to do what they always do. I think it's important for them to be accountable with strategic tactical plans on what they're planning to do and not just throw out numbers to appease people in the moment. So I wanna actually see what those programs look like. I think that's what's missing. Um, and when it comes to you know, the, the fair products, like Kim eloquently said, the products are still what they are. Whether you change the name or the face, um, they're still very harmful. There's a problematic issue in not just the African community, Black communities all around the world, even in the Indian communities, Asian communities, about skin color and the fact that so many women and men of color bleach because they think that that makes them look and makes them feel like better people when we should really tackle the issue at hand, which is why we feel like we need to bleach in order to present ourselves in a better way. So I think 
outside of rebranding the name, we need to have a bigger conversation ongoing about the problematic issues of bleaching. And, you know, again, we need to understand where this money is going and not make it performative, but make it educational. And Erica, the legacy brands. Everything that um, I was going to say, both ladies have said um, eloquently, very eloquently, um, but two other things jumped out at me and they had the money all this time then. If it could just suddenly appear, it was always there. So what message does that send out? Does it, it immediately makes me feel like um, we're devalued and we weren't worth anything, but because this has happened, let's keep them silent for a while. And secondly, um, it goes back to culture. The I did a seminar only yesterday, a webinar, I should say, on um, bleaching and whitening and um, whitening products. And as the young lady said, it's exactly it's doing exactly the same thing. And it goes back to culture and education, lack of self worth, and they're the things that um, the brands could be looking at as because by selling the products, they're still making money from something that's doing harm. Okay. So what about retail? Was Target right to create badges for consumers to identify black owned products? Sephora pledged 15% of space to black owned brands and CVS, Walgreens and Walmart unlocked cabinets on multicultural products in the US. Was this correct? What should they have done? And we're gonna start with you, Edwina. Ah, this subject in particular gets me very heated. Um, when it comes to CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart, shame on you. The fact that they can take products that predominantly Black people buy and cage them and lock them up, uh, the fact that they even thought that this, this was a strategy that they can implement in thousands of their stores. I've been to many CVS's, Walgreens, where I was trying to get like a cream of nature, you know, conditioner and it was locked because what, for whatever reason they feel as though these products are being stolen or what have you. It's problematic, it's disrespectful. Um, it is, it just, it's a gives a reflection of uh, what racism and systemic racism looks like, uh, that it's still happening in broad daylight, I think is a shame. Um, when it comes to the 15% pledge, I will say that what I like about the pledge is that it holds companies accountable. So instead of throwing out a vague statement about what Sephora is going to do, we as people actually have a number that we can hold them accountable with. So in two years, if they're still at 6% you know, black owned, we can say, you know what? You failed. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Now that 15% is based on the black population being 15%. I think it should be way more in my opinion, but if they're going with 15, at least we can hold them accountable to that number. I still feel like there's a huge lack of leadership roles in huge retail chains like Target. There are not enough people of color, black people at the decision-making table, flagging products, flagging issues. At CVS, Walgreens and Walmart, if there were black people on their leadership team, shareholders, board members, do we think that they would pass uh, an agreement to lock up black products? 
I don't think so. That's the problem with a lot of these companies. They don't have people who look like us at the table who can flag things that are extremely offensive and discriminatory. For me, it's two sides to it. One is, why can't we just embrace Black-owned brands as they are? Why do we need to flag them? But there's an answer to that, right? There, there are so many great Black-owned brands that, one, we don't even know are Black-owned. They're not highlighted. They're not talked about. So in the same light, I do feel like any way we can eloquently and respectfully and tastefully highlight Black-owned brands, we should. Should we use a logo or a stamp to mark them? I don't know if that's the right approach, but I do agree with the fact that we should be talking more about Black-owned brands and highlighting them. I think there is an issue with the way it's being done now. And Erica, your thoughts on retail? Um, again, everything I wanted to say, Edwina said very eloquently. Um, I call it guilt space. Um, I call it, I mean, it goes to show how much they've got it wrong and have had it wrong all this time. And it takes what happened. I don't want to name it. I don't want to bring it back up again. But for people to automatically get the keys to open up and get labels and stick it on, I, I think it's insulting. Um, and, and, and I don't want to dress it up and dress it down. I think if a product is good, it should sell. Not because you feel bad, you're gonna stick a badge on it and to make you look good. That's the way I've interpreted it. I could be wrong, but I, I, I think it's all about marketing. And I think if the product is good, then it, and, if, and it's marketed well, it should just be sold. I, it's almost the reverse to, um, I don't wanna say bullying because it's not a form of bullying, but it's look what I'm doing and we're getting it right, but you've, you've done it wrong all this time. So for me, I need to think on that one a little bit more because I only heard about it in the last couple of weeks and it doesn't sit well with me, but that's just me. And Kim, how yeah. do you feel about this? And, yeah. and what is the European market doing? Because I haven't seen anything about UK retailers in, you know, in the space. In the UK market, literally nothing. Everything that is in the UK market will be what has come through the US mostly. Uh, that's that's my you know particular opinion. Some of the brands have made a little bit of effort to have more retail products that they say is in a dark skin color upon the shelves. But really, when we come to makeup and a lot of skincare colors. Um, we end up going to specialist shops that are out there. Why cannot we go into, you know, a, a normal pharmacy or a normal shop and pick up? There are a few specific ranges out there, um, such as MAC, who make a, you know, make a, a, an effort to have a variety of colours. But I think that... A badge to let consumers know, why can't I just go in the store and see a product and see it and say, hey, this is great, you know, that I'm able to buy this. Do you know that there's over, what, 22 to 30 different brands out there which are owned by black people and we don't hear anything about it unless we go online 
and search about it. We don't hear anything. What do they need to do different? Help these brands to be out there and to be known and to be marketed. Support them. The big brands out there need to guide and support them and get these people on their boards and get these people part of the leadership teams so that they too can guide them on the you know the correct way that they should be presenting themselves to the market of people with skins of colour. In the UK, um, we had a Black Pound Day, and there's another one coming up in August. Were you a part of that, or what? You know, what are your thoughts on that? Because that was a very UK-based um, strategy to get people to buy black-owned products. I did hear about that, mm. but not in great detail. I know what it was, and I know that there was a lot of people. Um, there seemed to be a lot of um, yes and no's on social media about it. Um, and it, I don't have a special... I'm not sure about one way or the other what I thought about that, to be honest. Edwina, did you have anything like that in the US? Yeah, it's been very, I think in the US, it's been very strongly managed by social media and very grassroots. I don't think there's been a national announcement yes. of like Shop Black. We do have a, a Shop Small Business Day. I would love to see a Shop Black Day again. It's unfortunate that we have to call it out in that way. But if it helps bring awareness to more black owned brands, which I'm learning every day of brands that I did not know were black owned. So as much as it could be offensive, I also think it's bringing in money into the pockets of black owned brands. It's also bringing awareness to people who were like, oh, I didn't know that Bevel was black owned or I didn't know Essentials was black owned. So as much as it could be frustrating, I think it is a good thing. And I think it helps bigger corporations take notice of up-and-coming Black-owned brands that they could acquire or invest in or support. So how about the marketing message? Corporate ads say Black Lives Matters, but the industry creating these ads are nearly all white. Was it enough? What could they have done differently? It took a student to ask for at Black Girls Hands on Instagram. Is anybody listening? Edwina? Well, we have to huff, puff, kick, scream, yell, cry, sometimes even die, unfortunately, for our voices to be heard. It's extremely frustrating that, you know, you have emojis, like you just mentioned, on social media platforms, and they're all yellow. And, you know, there, there, there are ranges of color in the world, and we all use emojis to communicate things. The fact that it didn't cross anyone's mind at these companies to say, you know what? Yeah, we do need a range of emojis because the world doesn't look one way. Uh, I think it's problematic, you know, with, with the statements. It's nice to say Black Lives Matter. It's nice to put out a big statement. It's nice to take up an ad. It's nice to post a list of Black-owned brands, but what are you really doing? Are you hiring more Black people at your company? You know, is it performative? Is it convenient for you to come out with these statements? Companies need to do better. 
all of them need to look at their organization, need to look at the, the communication that they put out. All of a sudden on Instagram, I'm seeing beautiful brown and black faces on Vogue, on you know this brand, that brand. And I'm like, oh, so you had all of this amazing content and collateral of people of color, but we're only seeing it now. It's, it comes back to you know not doing enough. And, and being silent about this huge issue for so long. And now it's convenient to say Black Lives Matter. And it's a shame, but you know we have to keep pushing. We have to keep speaking about the issue. And Erica, where are you on, on the marketing message created for the corporate world by corporate advertising agencies? When is the end date? I know it's coming soon. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it as a trend for what's just taking place now. And I can see already, and I don't know if the other ladies can agree with me, it's starting to slow down. It's not maintaining that momentum. Um, people have gone back to work. People are starting to get busy because of obviously coronavirus. Everybody was able to focus in. But um, I see it as a trend, unfortunately. I actually heard two industry colleagues, Caucasian colleagues speaking the other day. They didn't know that it was a Zoom call. They didn't know that I could hear. And they said the same thing. They said, um, I could hear the stress in their voices and they were saying, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. And I thought, over? It's just started. But I can imagine and I can appreciate that everyone's feeling frustrated and so they should. But I think um, as the ladies quite rightly said, there should be some brown, Asian, oriental, people of all different hues sat at that table speaking and representing their community because a yellow emoji if you've ever got an emoji from me my one is brown um and sometimes i send you a red one as well um we have to represent and we have to talk to the people we have to talk to people and we have to allow people that look like those people to talk to them too so i, I still think the marketing message is wrong but I also see that they're trying, but they're not trying enough. And Kim, your thoughts on marketing? The thing that is important to me is it's all people of colour. You know, there are so many shades of different colour and Black Lives Matter is not just about, you know, whether you're from Africa or the Caribbean, or it matters to all colours. And that it is right about the emojis. And I think the only place I've seen um, the emojis is actually a different color with Zoom. And I kind of went, oh, I can have a different color for a man that I can choose. It was such a shock. Now, it shouldn't be like that. It should be a standard of what I, you know, have as any other Caucasian person has. Um, marketing, they're trying, as they say. My concern is exactly as Erica said, it's almost a fad and it's going to disappear. And we, as usual, need to keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And it shouldn't have to be like that. So in order to stop this disappearing, how do we do that? If we look at recruitment, does it start with recruitment? Sharon Cutter 
founder of Uma um, Cosmetics, instigated the Pull Up for Change Challenge. Was that what the industry needed? Lots of brands did uh, pull up, did show the different um, percentages of people of color in their businesses. Was this the right thing to do? I'd like to know, that's very nice of them showing the colors, but I would like to know where exactly were these people working within the organization? I would like to know, was it somebody who sat on the board, somebody who sat in the top job, or was it the cleaner downstairs or the coat person or the person just, you know, standing at the doorway? I need more clarity on that because just saying, these are the numbers, look, we're doing exactly what's right. Oh no, I want the clear, hard statistical facts. And Edwina, your thoughts on recruitment, the recruitment process? The break, the percentages. Well, well said, Kim. I agree with you. We need to see what levels we're talking about. You know, who who are the the black people that are accounted for in that number? And I, you know, I just left a huge corporation um, after ten years of working there. So I spent ten years at this company. I left a month ago to work for a a small organization that's black owned. And I'll tell you that recruitment is at the core of this issue, especially when it comes to corporations and big companies. When, you know, the resumes of black people and people of color in general, when they don't even make the pile of resumes mm. uh, to, to the, you know, the talent acquisitions teams or the human resources teams, you don't even make it that far. And then you're hoping to make an interview. Um, and to make an impression. And I just feel like it's such a missed opportunity because there's so many amazing, talented, qualified people that don't even get the opportunity to get their resume picked up from a file because of their last name or because of how they're perceived. Uh, it's a huge issue. Again, companies like Balenciaga, H&M, uh, Gucci, they've all been called out for putting out extremely racially offensive product. Again, if you had black and brown people in the decision-making table. They would flag that t-shirt with the black kid and the monkey and say, hey, H&M, I don't think it's such a bright idea to put this product out. But when you have a homogenous organization where everyone looks the same, they don't see issues. And, and that was you know, a big part of an awakening for me after 10 years. I was like, wow, it's, I'm really a part of a place that doesn't promote diversity and doesn't look at the fact that there, there's a small percentage of people of color, not only internally, but externally. You know, the photographers we work with, the models that we choose, and anything that has to do with our brand has to show diversity, especially in industries like fashion and beauty, where, you know, it should be diverse. It is diverse. If you look at the streets of New York, LA, Miami, London, it's diverse. But when you look into the companies that are promoting these products, it's not. And I think that's the issue. Erica, recruitment. Where are you on that? <laughs> oh, I've started to sound like a, um, a playback. Um, everything I wanted to say has been said. <sighs> but I do believe that the going back to the boardroom um i think some of the people who sit at the board table should resign 
and should be replaced, not necessarily with a black person, but I think a lot of people, if you keep doing the same thing and you keep getting the same results, so you need a different, they either need retraining or exchange because if you keep, and you have a, a certain type of mindset, you're gonna keep employing the same type of individual and because you've been programmed that way. So I think there should be more people in the recruitment process at the top end of the table as well. Absolutely. So let's talk formulation, hair care, skin care, sun care, color cosmetic. Who is doing it well? Where is there a need for improvement? What is the opportunity? What has been missed? Over to Kim. There is, let me say, there are some skincare brands who are starting to wake up that they have to do products that fit specifically to a hair of color. But also, if we look at the world today, the world itself is changing because there are a lot of nationalities which are inter, they're interacting with each other and producing children, you know, of different nationalities, different countries, etc. And I think what they are missing is we need to make products, whether they're skincare, whether they're hair care products, that are catering towards the future. They almost sometimes seem to be stuck in the same rut of just rolling out the same thing, but not looking what is happening around them. I think for my in my industry, the only differences I've seen, particularly, is in hairdressing uh, education, where now they look at the structure of the hair. They don't say it's Caucasian hair or it's black hair or etc. They look at the structure of it. Well, isn't this how we should be looking at everything around? You know, what are the formulations? What are the products that are, that are going to be good on a skin of color? Do you know there are some companies out there, such as um, one called Black Girl Skill Sunscreen, SPF 30. And hey, somebody's finally woken up and know that, gosh, you know, we need a sunscreen that is a higher level that we can put on our skin without looking like a ghost. And How long is it going to take them to wake up and see this? So I still think they're on the step, but they need to go up that step and start to make a difference. Erica, product, formulation, where are the gaps? What's <laughs> missing? I'm laughing because the last thing that Kim said was something that I wrote down here specifically to say, and that is the gap that I've been aware of and I've been analyzing for the last couple of years is protection, sun protection mm -hmm. for dark skin. I've literally just wrote that down. And that's a huge gap that both anyone, you know, doesn't matter your skin color that can create because there isn't anything out there other than what Kim mentioned. There may be a couple Venus, of Venus Williams, she launched just just before the Black Lives Matter. And you can, you can understand why she yeah. she's out there in the sun all the time. But it's such an obvious gap um, that the manufacturers, it, I mean, it's literally staring you in the face. Mm -hmm. And that's something I feel that the industry should jump on. Um, 
And that way you'll be catering for the whole world. And over to Edwina, products, formulation, where are the gaps? You've launched your own uh, cosmetic company. You've got your own black owned vegan lip balm. What's next for you guys? Um, I mean, we are continue. I'm continuing to educate myself, myself and my team. We want to learn more about pigment. We want to learn more about what are the underrepresented tones that we're not addressing, you know, from the darkest to the lightest and in between, like Kim said, the children of the future are going to look different. They're going to be mixed with, you know, na nationalities and combinations that we haven't seen before. So how do we prepare for that? But, you know, Essentials by Edwina, I launched it because I couldn't find a nude lipstick for myself and my peers. And I was mixing MAC with, a, you know, Black Opal and this and that, trying to find something that is so easy for other people to find. I was like, you know what? We're going to do it ourselves. I found a business partner that could help me build the brand and find uh, the production facility that could create vegan lipsticks. And now we have the Legacy Collection, which is a range of nudes, starting from the darkest to the lightest. We're missing a lot of colors. We know that. So we're adding more. But, you know, lipsticks is a start and it's a go-to. You know, I travel so much for work. You always want that one thing to pick you up. And when you can't find the right color and it looks pasty, it's it's a it's problematic. And so I think more of us should just do what we need, create what we need. Um, back to sunscreen, I agree with Erica and Kim. I actually wrote down uh, black girl sunscreen as well because I'm like, yeah, why do we go out looking like ghosts? when we're going to the beach or going outside. Same thing for my two-year-old daughter. I put regular sunscreen on her and you know, it's just, it's not appealing and it's unnecessary. So I love that there's a black girl um, sunscreen. I think we, you know, Juvia's Place is another brand uh, of beauty. It's owned by, I think it's owned by a Nigerian woman. Right. And she gets the colors right when it comes to pigment, dynamic, electric color ranges. I think she's done an amazing job. And I also think it's a note to, again, the huge corporations like a L'Oreal or an Estee Lauder. Don't just look at what Juvia's Place and this person is doing and copy their products or their formulation. Pull them up. Bring them into your organization. Make them an advisor. Pay them a salary. Um, pay them for their expertise or acquire their companies. Use those millions to buy a Black-owned product that you can develop and grow. Don't just look at it and say, oh, that's cute. Let's see if we can copy that campaign. Mm -hmm. Own up to what you're saying. That $10 million pledge that you're giving to other organizations, invest it into the future generations of Black-owned or diversity products in general. We need that. We need to learn from your marketing expertise how to build a successful campaign. I, as a brand owner, know I need to educate myself more on marketing. I would love to work with a company like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder who have a formula down that can help me develop my little brand so it can grow. We need, we need that kind of support. Consumers responded with actions. What did consumers do? And how can suppliers, brands, retailers, and the media maintain the momentum? We've already touched on momentum. You can see it dwindling. Um, what do you want us to do? Edwina, as I'm looking at you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, 
the conversation cannot stop. Like Erica said, it's fading. It should not be a trend. I've also heard people say, oh, I can't wait till this whole thing is over. You can't wait till equality is over. You can't wait till that conversations about diversity is. What do you mean when you say that? It's, it is the like it is the essence of privilege to hear someone say, "I can't wait for this black trend to be over." We are fighting for our lives. We're fighting for our future generations. We're fighting for something that is handed to people with with no thought. Uh, I think we need to keep the momentum going. I think social media has done a great job. You know, that's the that's the power of not going to traditional media with this, who are going to whitewash it or make it more appropriate or, you know, make it a statement that appeases their shareholders. Social media has no filter. People are calling organizations out. Employees of organizations are writing statements about what, you know, racist encounters they've had. And I think companies have to respond to that because it's out there. So I think, you know, we have to keep the momentum. We have to keep conversations like this going. Having podcasts like, like this, I think it's so healthy. The fact that we're all here connecting and talking about such an important topic, that's what it takes to keep the momentum. We cannot be silenced. Kim, your thoughts on momentum? Absolutely keep that momentum going. And, you know, there are people out there who have been successful, you know, uh, with these black companies and everything, and they need to also stand up and fight, you know, be more out there, show, shine their light in what they do. You know, I think quite often we shy back a little bit, but it's time for us who are strong, educated women or men in the industry or entrepreneurs that we start to really fight back and show our light and show that we are educated. We know what to do. We know how to guide them. We know how to sit on that board and show them the way to go so that they are inclusive in diversity in everything within their organization. And Erica, momentum, how do we keep it up? I sat here and I listened to both of my colleagues speak and they both used the, a word that be, has become our norm, which is fight. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to hear that we have to fight. I mean, I know it, I'm part of that. It, that's part of my, um, my life every single day. But they both use the word fight so normally. And unfortunately, that's what we have to do. So to keep that momentum going, I want all those that have made a promise to fulfill and carry it through because a lot of people have promised to do lots of things, including to myself, and I'm seeing it windle away. So they need to be accountable. Um, they need to be proud and not shy away. I've seen a lot of people not respond to things that they could respond to on social media. And I think a lot of that is because they're afraid or they don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm talking about my Caucasian counterparts. But I think that makes you just as guilty because if you don't like something, you should say you don't like it. Mm -hmm. And if you like something, you should say, but hiding away um, because the problem's not going to be resolved. So I think people should follow through in all the things that they've said, be accountable. And, you know, let's all try and work together and stop this fight. Diversity in business 
is a 1.5 trillion economic opportunity in the US. This was predicted by Paul Pullman, ex-Unilever CEO. If that is the case, who is investing in what and where is the opportunity? Kim. Who is investing? Well, I think in this, the economy, yes, diversity in business is a huge area. It's almost like we are forgotten. And I think that what they need to do is spend the money in the right place of looking into, uh, researching into diversity. Where should they spend in their money? As Edwina and Erica have said, you know, they need to have the people on board and pay them so that they know that they're spending their money in the correct area that is going to help the industry and them grow. And also, it's going to help those people out there who are striving with the skills and the knowledge to move forward and show, we shouldn't have to show what black people or people of color can do and be, you know, exceptional as. We are out there. They need to come forward and find us. We are out there everywhere across social media and across TV, etc. And then move forward in a positive light. But again, I think it's going to take time. But every one of us has to move forward and bring this into the light. Erica, investment. Where is it coming from? Where isn't it coming from? What would you like to see happen? It's not coming from me and it's not coming to me either. Um, that's a huge amount of money, 1.5 trillion. I can't even write that down other than in words. Um, mm -hmm. You said in the USA. Um, I, 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 I would actually like to know where in particular it's coming from and where it's going. I myself have no idea. Um, but it'd be really good for that to be broken down and it's shown to us where it's coming from that amount of money and where it's going to, what brands, what organizations, it says diversity in businesses, what kind of businesses, what age group, um, because I really don't know. I can't answer that question um, wholeheartedly and say, I know it's coming from here and I know it's going there. And Edwina, investment. You're a small brand owner. You've just put it out there to L'Oreal, to Estee Lauder to come and invest. If you were looking for investment, where would you go? Again, a great question. Um, you know, I, I think for me, it would be, it would have to do with the culture of the company. If I, if I do get the opportunity to get investment from a company that sees value in what I'm building, uh, I want to go with a company that has employees that are diverse. I want to walk into a building where I'm seeing uh, you know, diversity, and I'm seeing people of color making decisions, not cleaning the bathrooms, uh, but actually making valuable input um, to the company. So, I if if I do if I do get the opportunity, I would want it to be a company that has the same values as mine. Um, and then, when it comes to the the opportunity, you know, this trillion dollar opportunity of diversity. It's so interesting how they can put a number on 
you know, diversity in various industries where it's like, we've been here this whole time. So black people consume all kinds of product. Brown people consume all kinds of product. We have been, you know, whether it's a crib for my daughter or, you know, food products, all of all industries have neglected us and they still do. So it's very interesting that they're like, whoa, you know, all of this money can go towards building more diversity. Yeah, you guys are late. We, we, we can tell you, I can tell you who um, can help you figure out where that investment should go. We can, because we deal with not finding products that are suitable for ourselves every day. I can go into a huge corp corporation and sit at the table and tell you where you're lacking and where you're missing. Hire more people of color, hire more black people. Ask them, when you, when you wake up in the morning and go to work and come home in those eight hours, what are you lacking? What aren't you getting? What products can't you find that's suitable for you? I guarantee you any person of color can tell you what you're missing. Hire more black people, invest in more uh, black and brown people in your workforce, and you will figure out how to get those trillions of dollars because there's so much money to be made. And finally, and really quickly from everybody, what should the cosmetics industry look like in one, five, and 10 years time? So very quick, Edwina. <laughs> okay, I'll be quick, because I, I talk a lot and I know that. Um, I, my daughter's two. By the time she gets to the age where she wants to wear makeup, if she does, who knows if she will, I want her to be able to walk into a store and find her sunscreen easily, find beauty products, stuff that matches her skin color. Outside of that, I want her to find healthy products, non-toxic products, um, you know, clean beauty products that can make her look, feel good, and that is actually good for her body. I don't want it to be a challenge for her. And Kim? The cosmetic industry for the future, I want them to have more knowledge about products, formulation, education, training of people within their organizations so that they're all aware of how to treat, create formulas for skin types. And Erica, very, very quickly. Um, compassionate staff. I want there to be a lot more compassionate, educated people on the shop floor. Doesn't matter if they haven't got the products that's catering for your skin type, but know how to talk and communicate with the person that doesn't look like you. I would like to thank everyone for taking part today. Erica, Kim and Edwina, and thank you to our audience for listening. Until next time. <laughs>